0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, back in the, in the 1500s, a British scholar and Christian leader by the name of William Tyndale set out to translate the Bible from its original Hebrew and Greek into English. Now, at the time, the, uh, the only Bibles available to people were in Latin. It was a thousand-year-old translation into the Latin, and nobody could read Latin. So Tyndale had this vision of people getting to know God through the reading of his word in their own heart language. Unfortunately, he ran into a major uh, roadblock along the way of doing his translation work. The church leaders, corrupt church leaders at the time, didn't want people reading the Bible for themselves, didn't want people thinking for themselves. And so the translation of the Bible was outlawed. You could be killed for translating the Bible. But that didn't stop Mr. Tyndale. He just moved to Germany, went into hiding, and continued with his translation work. But when he was finished with it, he faced another major roadblock. How would he pay for the publication of this Bible? How would he pay for its distribution? Well, enter a businessman by the name of Humphrey Monmouth. Humphrey Monmouth heard about Tyndale's translation and he met up with him and he said, I am a cloth A merchant who lives in London but I would love to help pay for your Bibles and that's exactly what he did he paid for the printing of 3,000 Bibles and then he smuggled them on the ships that he used for trading to places far and wide Uh, now Mr. Tyndale was eventually caught and they strangled him to death and then they burned him at the stake how about that they wanted to make sure he was dead 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 And Monmouth they threw into the Tower of London. But fortunately, he was released a year later. So the question is, was his financial investment worth it? Was it worth it? Well, we know from history, first of all, that thousands of people came into a saving relationship with Jesus thanks to that English translation that Monmouth paid for. We, we also know that this translation, as historians say, lit the fuse for what's become known as the Reformation. And we also know that the king of England, two years after Tyndale's death, ordered that an English Bible be placed in every church in the country. So yeah, you could say that Mr. Monmouth left his mark, left his mark not only on the world in which he lived, but left his mark on the eternal destinies of people. He left his mark on eternity. So welcome to the fifth, the final installment in a series that we've been calling, That's Gonna Leave a Mark. We've been talking about the impact that Jesus wants his followers to have on their world. We've talked about the impact we could have on our own character, on our culture, on our church, on our families, and today our topic is how to leave a mark on our eternity. So Humphrey Monmouth left such a mark by making a generous financial investment in some Bibles. Interestingly, Jesus often taught about the connection between what we do with our money and the reward that we can expect in God's kingdom. And Jesus warned his followers against spending all their money on things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Jesus urged them in the words of Matthew 6, verse 20. He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We recited that in our worship today. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's one of the primary ways in which we live, leave a mark on our eternity. And Jesus taught a number of of parables, short stories, that explain how to invest money for eternal rewards. In fact, it's estimated that a third of Jesus' 30-some parables deal with the topic of money or material possessions. So this is a big deal in Jesus' teaching. We're going to take a look at one of those parables today. It's found in Matthew 25. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did turn with me to Matthew 25. 25, there are four main lessons we're going to draw from this parable today, and I'm going to put each one of them in the form of a question. And I want you to ask each question of yourself, because your answer, listen, your answers to these four questions will reveal how much of a mark you are currently leaving on your eternity. So here's question number one. What do you believe about the master's money? What do you believe about the master's money? Now let's start the parable. It's verse 14 of Matthew 25. Jesus says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a parable about money, about bags of gold. But we need to ask the question right from the get-go, whose money are we talking about? You know, were, were the three servants in this story dealing with their own money? What do you say? No. look at verse 14 again. "The master called these three dudes together and entrusted his wealth to them. If you got a Bible and a pen, underline his wealth. The story that follows is about what each of these guys did with the master's money. So the Bible's absolutely clear about this. Friends, every dollar in our possession has come from God and belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. God's the owner of it all. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything, everything in it. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 12 and 14, King David's prayer to God. He says, wealth and honor come from you. Everything comes from you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the apostle Paul writes, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So the money in Jesus' parable was the master's money. Yes, he entrusted it to his three servants, but the money didn't belong to them. The money belonged to him. And that raises the question for every one of us, what do you believe about your money? What do you you believe? Do you see it as God's money? And so he's to have a primary say in how it's used, or do you see it as... Your money, which you are free to do with as you please. I want you to imagine something here, okay? Imagine that you're looking for a new car and you tell me about it and I say, well, you know, I know a number of car dealers, so let me work out a deal for you. Okay, If you'll just tell me what kind of car you want and you'll give me the money, I'll, you know, I'll work out the deal. And so that's what you do. You tell me what car you want. You give me some cash. I go look and two days later, I show up in your driveway with a brand new car. Now, unfortunately, it's not the car you wanted. But I say to you, I, say, you know, I couldn't find a car like that. But guess what? I, I was able to use your money to buy this red Jeep Wrangler, which I've always wanted for myself. Now, are you good with that? Are are you cool with me deciding what to do with your money? I don't think so. Okay, what about the master's money? Does it belong to God and so does he have the primary say in how you use it, how you spend it, what's invested in his kingdom's work, or are you free to do with it as you please? You know, I heard the story this last week about a couple at Christ Community Church who made a decision that underscores the fact that they are fully committed to their money being the master's money. According to this story, this couple gets frequent raises at work. Now, what do people typically do with a raise? When you get a raise, you increase your lifestyle, right? You get a raise, so you buy a nicer car. You take a better vacation. You go out to eat more often. But but this couple decided, you know, we're, we're already living comfortably. So why don't we freeze our standard of living? Why don't we cap our standard of living right where it's at? And anytime we get a raise from here on out, it goes to the Lord's work. Wow, whose money is it? Their decision said, it's God's. It's God's. Question number two. What are you investing for the master's benefit? What are you investing for the master's benefit? Back to Jesus' parable, Matthew 25, drop down to verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. Put his money to work and gained five bags more. So, also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Please notice again whose money is it? He hid his master's money. The master had given it to him, but he knew it was the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Here you go. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, there's one special phrase I want to underscore here. It's in verse 16. Again, if you're an underliner or a circler, get your pen out. The first guy received five bags of the master's gold and he put his money to work. You see that phrase? The servant put his master's money to work. For whose benefit? For his own benefit? No, now he was trying to turn a profit for, for the master's sake. And when the master returned from his journey, the servant said, look at what I've gained for you. In the same way, our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's gone on a long journey. You know, he's currently seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, but one day, Scripture says, he's going to return. You know, he's entrusted financial resources to each of his followers in the meantime, and when he returns, every one of us will give an account of how we invested that money. Did we put it to work for his benefit? Did we invest it for the sake of the advancement of his kingdom? Uh, let me tell you about a woman who did that with her money. Her name was Lady Huntington, and my guess is nobody here has ever heard of Lady Huntington. But but you may might have heard of her teammate in ministry, a famous preacher by the name of George Whitfield. Uh, back in the early 1700s, Whitfield, an Englishman, made a number of trips to the American colonies to preach, and he preached up and down the uh, east coast of colonies. City to city, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, thousands of people responded, surrendered their lives to Christ. It began what historians refer to as the Great Awakening. In fact, historians say that George Whitfield was the most famous man in the colonies at the time. Okay, so Lady Huntington hears about his ministry and she decides she'd like to invest in it. Okay, when he comes back to England, she'd like to invest in his ministry in his homeland in England. Uh, One historian describes her this way. says she was a tornado and a silver spoon wrapped into one. uh, A five foot, six inches force of nature and the heiress of old money. Well, Lady, Lady Huntington was a recent widow. She was only 39 years old. She had four kids she was trying to raise on her own and vast estates to supervise but she heard about Whitfield and she wanted to invest in his ministry in England the only trouble was uh, Whitfield at the time was not allowed in most English churches see he had this bad practice of going out into the open air and gathering thousands of people at at once and preaching the gospel to them smelly lower class people and the churches said "We, we want none of that in our churches. So Lady Huntington invested her financial resources in paying for and building 116 churches across England. And she funded a, a seminary to train other preachers like George Whitfield, who would let loose with the good news about Jesus. So over the course of his lifetime, Whitfield preached an estimated 18,000 sermons. He preached over 500 sermons a year for 34 years' time. Most people know about George Whitfield. Hardly anybody knows about Lady Huntington, who was the resource, financially speaking, for his ministry, who invested for the master's benefit. Now, it would be tempting to say, well, that was easy for her to do because she was stinking rich. Okay, let me tell you about some other women who weren't nearly as wealthy, but who also resourced the ministry of a popular preacher. Their names were Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, and you could read about them in the Bible in the New Testament book of Luke chapter 9 verses 1 to 3. It was Jesus' ministry that they financially supported. Jesus, as you know, traveled from village to village along with his 12 associates, and along the way they healed the sick, and they blessed children, and they invited people into God's kingdom. But who resourced their ministry? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how did they pay for all this traveling around with nobody doing any work? You know, how did they cover the room and board for their team? Now, we know that on occasion, Jesus could take a little boy's lunch and he could multiply it to feed thousands of people. But is that what he did on a daily basis? You know, sat down at the dinner table with his disciples and said, hey, Peter, pass the fish and chips. And Peter said, what fish and chips? Kaboom, fish and chips across the table. Is that how Jesus did it? I don't think so. Somebody was covering the costs of Jesus' ministry. And Luke tells us, It was these three women, no indication they were wealthy women Mary, Joanna, Susanna, supporting Jesus' ministry out of their own pockets. The exciting thing is that's still going on today. You know, I get a fair number of. Texts and emails from people at Christ Community Church. And when it's positive correspondence, not always positive, but when it is positive, I would say that the number one topic people want to communicate to me is their joy or their breakthrough at becoming givers. Number one topic. In fact, just this last week, Uh, Larry Stratton, our generosity pastor, he said, I I need to pass on to you a bunch of emails that I've received from people who contributed to our year-end gift, and oh my goodness, are they stoked. And I went through those those emails. Now, you might recall, we raised in year-end giving over a million dollars, most of which went To the production of audio Bibles in 25 new languages. So millions of people around the the world are going to hear the good news about Jesus in their mother tongue for the first time. One CCC giver writes, God gave me an extra $1,000 out of nowhere, which was clearly needed to go toward this awesome ministry. No questions asked, big smile included. I'm so grateful that the leaders in our church find truly worthy causes for me to give to. I know that it will go to where it's supposed to go. Oh, praise God. I read that and I thought, how many of us would conclude if we got a $1,000 windfall unexpectedly? Oh, I know what this is for. You know, this is for the Lord's work. You know, this is for that year-end project we're doing. How many of us are doing that with our regular paycheck? You know, the Bible teaches that, that minimally, minimally the first 10% of our income, it's called a tithe, should be invested in the Lord's work, starting with our local church. So, How are you doing in that regard? Are you investing for the master's benefit? That's question number two. Are you investing for the master's benefit? If you looked at your checkbook ledger, if you looked at your financial statement, are you investing for the master's benefit? Question number three. What can you expect by way of the master's reward? What can you expect by way of the master's reward? Okay, back to Jesus' parable in Matthew 25. When I read the last part to you, uh, did you notice how the master rewarded the financial stewardship of the first two servants? What does he say to them? He says the same thing to servant number one and servant number two. It's in verse 21 and then again in verse 23. So let me read verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, in that verse, I see a couple of rewards that the master passed on to these faithful stewards, the stewards, the servants who had invested their their financial resources for the master's benefit. He offers them increased responsibility in the future and a share in the master's happiness. And those same two rewards, Jesus is offering faithful stewards today. Christ followers who know where to put their money. Increased responsibility in the future and a share in the master's happiness. Let's start with increased responsibility in the future. Did you know that one day when Jesus returns to the planet and he inaugurates his, new, his eternal kingdom, new heaven and new earth, that he is going to reward faithful stewards with increased responsibility. They're going to have oversight of important aspects of his kingdom. Now, many Christ followers are oblivious to this truth. And one of the reasons is because we believe that salvation is not based upon what we earn, it's based upon what Christ did for us. He bore the penalty for our sins on the cross, was raised from the dead, now says if you want forgiveness and eternal life, it's yours, just surrender to me. So it's everything's been done by Christ, that's absolutely right. But did you know that's the way you get into heaven, but it says nothing about rewards. Some of us mistakenly assume that because we all get in at you know, the same way in the day that, in the way that Jesus, the door that Jesus opened for us, that rewards, eternal rewards, are equal as well. That's not what the Bible teaches. You know, you go back to that verse, Matthew 6 20, which I quoted earlier. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So if you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, when you get to heaven, what do you expect to see? The treasures you stored up which include increased responsibility, oversight of Jesus' eternal kingdom. Oh, my goodness. But if you don't store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, okay, you're going to get in because you surrendered your life to Christ, but there's going to be nothing waiting for you by way of eternal treasure, nothing waiting for you by increased responsibility overseeing the master's kingdom. That this is an incredible blessing that Christ promises good stewards. What's the second reward that the faithful servants in this parable are given? They are given a share in the master's happiness. Let me make an interesting observation here. And you've heard me say this before I have never known a generous giver who was a sourpuss. Never. In fact, faithful givers are the most joy-filled Christ followers I know. So what is the master's reward? Well, it's increased responsibility in Jesus' eternal kingdom. It's joy in life right now. Let me add a third reward given to these two faithful servants. You don't see it until you drop down to the end of the story. First part of verse 29. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Here's a third reward more abundance. You know, any faithful giver at Christ Community Church will tell you that the more they have given to the Lord's work, the more they have received from the Lord's hand. The more they've given to the Lord's work, the more they've received more, more sense of God's presence in their lives, more answers to prayer, more relational peace with others and cessation of conflict, more bills paid and other financial blessings, more in abundance. You know, I got a three-page letter from a guy this past week who's been attending Christ Community Church for 20 years. And he described how COVID has, has clobbered him. His once successful business, 28 years old, is uh, now barely hanging on. And personally, he's in danger of losing his health insurance, and this dude needs health insurance. He has a disease that requires monthly infusions at the hospital and expensive medicines just to deal with the debilitating pain. Well, in the midst of this pandemic, the guy noticed he was looking at a, a bank statement and the bank had mistakenly stopped paying out some of the, some of the things that he had set up, regular payments to institutions, month, monthly payments. In a couple of cases, the bank had stopped making those payments. and One of them was his tithe check to Christ Community Church. And he looked at that and he thought, you know, first I ought to restart that. And he thought, well, maybe not now. You know, maybe I'll wait till things turn around for me. But things got worse and worse. And one day, one of the pastors on Christ Community Church's staff who knew what this guy was struggling with said, you know, we got this coronavirus fund that other people have given to. We'd like to pay some of your bills. And we did. And this guy writes in his letter. And I thought to myself, here I am kind of stiff in the church and the church is meeting my needs. He said to his wife, we got to start giving again. This is mostly what his letter was about. Let me read a portion to to it. He wanted to tell me what happened when he restarted his giving. He says, the same day I started giving, the bank called and told me there had been a five-figure accounting mistake at the bank in our favor. He says, the following Monday, my wife found two accounting mistakes with our vendors, one four-figure mistake and another five-figure mistake, which she quickly followed up on and received refunds from each vendor. And then that Friday, we applied for round two of a PPP loan. Having already received a previous PPP loan, put us down at the bottom of the list. But hey, at this point, we knew that anything's possible with God. Well, we were approved for a second loan. Wow. Wow. This guy has learned that the master rewards faithful giving, so let me ask you again question number three: What can you expect by way of the master 's reward? Well, it all depends. Are you a faithful giver? You know are you aiming at this tithe amount? Are you giving from each paycheck? Are you giving from bonuses and Birthday gifts. Are you you giving in your will and your trust in the future? Is it earmarked for the Lord's work? You know, God rewards faithful givers. This this, this past summer, uh, Sue and I sat down and looked at our will and trust and realized it had been a long time since we had updated it. Uh, We still had instructions in it about who was going to care for our children in case something happened to Sue and me. Uh, My kids are now grown and they have kids of their own. So it was time to do an update. So we did an update and we made sure that Christ Community Church and other uh, Christian ministries that we love are gonna be blessed by, by our financial stewardship in the future. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying it to say, hey, guess what, friends? I fully anticipate the master's reward. This is gonna be a blessing for me. What can you expect by way of the master's reward? By the way, uh, we're doing an estate planning uh, workshop. It's next Saturday, the 13th. It's available online as well as in person. And so if, if you have no idea what's in your will, your trust, or, you know, what your estate looks like in, in the future, uh, please understand, we don't do stuff like this to get something from you. We do it to get something for you. We believe 100% in the master's reward. That's what we want for you. Question number four, what is your view of the master's character? What is your view of the master's character? Now, one last time, we got to go back to the parable in Matthew 25 because we got to find out what happened to the third dude, right? The guy who dug a hole and put his bag of gold, gold in the hole. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See? Here's what belongs to you. How did the master respond to that? (laughs) First of all, the master rebukes the guy sternly, uses some really strong language, and and then he takes his bag of gold and he gives it to another one of the faithful servants. And then finally, he throws the guy out into the darkness, the the text says, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This does not sound good. So why? why why did this servant not do what the other two servants had done and the answer is because he had a twisted view of the master's character. What did he say to the master? He said I knew you're a hard guy. Now you could just imagine the other two servants they're standing there shaking their heads going, "Where did you get that idea?" Because that was not their picture of the master. He was a generous master. He was a master who promised reward for their faithful stewardship. What is this hard guy stuff? So what's our takeaway here? You know, our takeaway, friends, is that our view of the master's character is going to be impacted by the way in which we give. You know, occasionally I'll hear people say, well, you know, I can't do the tithe thing because if I did the tithe thing, I might not be able to pay my bills. And I want to say, really? So what's your view of God's character? If I obey God, I'm going to be destitute. (laughs) Really? So if you do what God says to do with your money, he's not going to meet your needs. See how this works? Our view of the master's character is going to determine how we give. L- listen to what someone wrote in an email to me last week. Many years ago, my wife and I made the decision to start to tithe. It was scary to do. It is. It was scary to do. But all I can say is that it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. God has taken that first step of obedience and has blessed us more blessed us more than we could ever say, that's a guy who knows God's true character. You know, another objection I sometimes pick up from non-givers, and they don't say it like this. But, but I know it's behind their lack of giving. If, if I give away big chunks of my income, I mean, even if I could pay my bills, if I give away 10% of my income, I won't be able to do some of the things I enjoy doing, like eating out and taking nice vacations and sending my kids to private school and having a, a gym membership or a golf club membership. So what you're saying is what? God's a spoil sport. You know, he doesn't want me to be happy because if I give him the money he's asking for, I won't be able to afford the things that give me joy. Wow, is that your view of God's character? He's a cosmic killjoy just looking for a way to rain on your parade? You need to talk to some of the generous givers who contributed to our year-end gift and who are out of their minds elated right now that because of their their giving, 25 new languages are appearing on audio Bibles around the world leading people to faith in Christ. You need to talk to the dad who spoke to our generosity pastor this last week and he said, I am so excited because my grown son started giving for the first time and I'm seeing that my generosity gene got passed on to him. That is so cool. You need to talk to the young couple who wrote to say that when COVID hit, they decided to increase their giving. See, when COVID hit, a lot of people said, whoa, whoa, you know, this is a good time to hoard. This is a good time to store up. But they they wanted to increase their giving to ensure that the church would be well resourced. And since that time, according to their email, the wife's business has grown and she got a promotion and her husband received a Christmas bonus and they gave him a company car and several other gifts rolled in. And so their email concludes with the words, thanking the Lord for how generous, how generous he's been to us over and over again. So what is your view of the master's character? It's reflected in how you give. You know, that third guy who was thrown out into the darkness, okay, the reason he was thrown out is he didn't have a relationship, not a true relationship with the master. He didn't know the master for who he was. And our gifts will reveal whether or not we know the master and what we know about him, what we know about his character. It's going to be reflected in how we give. In just a few moments, we're going to take part in communion, which is a reminder that Jesus, though rich, became poor for our sakes in order that we could become, we who were poor, spiritually speaking, could become rich. He's given us everything. As we bow, let's bow our heads in God's presence. Let me just walk through those four questions again to give you an opportunity in your own heart and mind to answer them. Question number one is, what do you believe about the master's money? Okay, do you believe it's his money and you need to do with it what he's asked you to do? Or are you treating it as your money to do with it as you please? If it's the latter, I think you need to repent of that now. And come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. You know, I've, I've been ripping you off here, and it's your money. Question number two: what are you currently investing for the master's benefit? Okay, can can you look at the way your money is spent and say, Yeah, I'm investing in my local church, I'm investing in this ministry or that, I'm coming alongside of the poor. I'm I'm investing. For the master's benefit. If not. Can you say right now. God would you help me get started. I, I, I want to start investing in things. That are going to last forever. Question number three. What can you expect by way of the master's reward. Can you expect increased responsibility. In Jesus eternal kingdom. Can, can you expect joy right now. Happiness. A share in the master's happiness. You, you know if not. Tell God, God, motivate me to get started this week. And then what is your view of the master's character? Do you see him as as one who has been incredibly generous with you, giving his own son? Is that what your giving says? That that's how you see the master's character? Are you fearful? Do you know that the master can be trusted? Lord God, I pray that you'd help us apply what we've learned from your your holy word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.